In this episode of Outdoor Insights, I speak to Ruth Hopkins. Now, Ruth is an award-winning investigative journalist. She used to live in South Africa, currently based in the UK, but she did a deep dive into corruption in prisons and the book, The Misery Merchants, Life and Death in a Private South African Prison that she wrote uh, is actually an expose of G4S, the company currently in the news because Taubo Bester escaped from their Mangaung prison. Ruth, thank you very much for joining me from the UK. Hi. Please tell us a bit about what made you move into investigating private prisons in South Africa? Yes, well, I arrived in the country in 2011 in South Africa and I started working for the VIT Justice Project in 2012. And that was a collective of investigative journalists focused on the criminal justice system. Um, and so we got a lot of, uh, we did a lot of cases, we invested cases of wrongful convictions, but we also looked into prison conditions and uh, prisoners throughout the country uh, would write to us about their problems. Um, so we get a lot of letters from inmates and I noticed, hey, we're getting a lot of letters from this one particular prison, Mangong prison uh, in Bloemfontein. And so I gathered the letters, uh, drove down to Bloemfontein and asked to speak to these inmates who'd written to us. And then I discovered that they were being uh, tortured, basically. They were being beaten up and tortured with electroshocks. They were being forcibly medicated with antipsychotic drugs as a form of crowd control. They were even being murdered. I uncovered several cases, but one case that I managed to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt, an inmate who'd been uh, tortured to death. And there were various suspicious deaths happening at the prison. That's how I, how I got into it. And then thankfully, G4S allowed me access to the prison because I, I didn't tell them I was a journalist, but I did tell them I was working for the Vitz Justice Project and that inmates had written to us. They could have Googled me and found out, but they clearly never did. And so I had access to free access to prisoners for over for about a year. And so I drove up and down to Bloemfontein and interviewed about 80 men in prison, in this prison, and um, then published my first article. Then the doors of the prison slammed shut. They didn't want me in ag again, of course. And then a strike broke out at the prison uh, and I started talking to the guards. They were also equally victimized by this ruthless company and they started sharing their situation uh, with me. And then I published the, the, the big expose of my work to, about the electroshocking, the forced injections with antipsychotic drugs and the, the fate of the, the, the G4S guards. Uh, the Mail and Guardian in the in South Africa ran it. Uh, the Guardian in the UK ran it. BBC and Carte Blanche, they broke the story in 2013, and that led to a DCS takeover, very very similar to the current takeover, based on the same legal provision, Section 112 of the Correctional Services Act. And DCS took over the prison for 10 months and then returned it to G4S without much of an explanation. And then I basically found out DCS is covering up for G4S and is not um, doing anything about the very serious human rights violations that I had exposed.
Were you at all surprised when you read about Tabo Bester's escape from this G4S prison? Well, in my investigation, I'd never come across uh, anything as outrageous. I mean, it's extreme, it's insane, it's it's elaborate, uh, and it's crazy. So that did surprise me. That was newsworthy. <laughs> but what didn't surprise me was the collusion and corruption required to pull this off. I mean, the high-up uh, G4S management have covered this up. DCS didn't take any action. Uh, the SAPS was on board. And that collusion I had already exposed. Now, let's just step back a bit and go to the early 2000s. And that is when similar corruption, um, well, not not escapes uh, on the scale of Tabo Bester's escape, but different forms of corruption was uncovered at the Grootvlei prison outside of Bloemfontein. And one of the key uh, people in exposing that was Gaten McKenzie. Uh, nowadays, he's a politician, but back then he actually did some very good work in exposing corruption, which led to the Jolly Commission. You are writing about somebody in your book that also featured prominently in the Grootvlei drama and that was subsequently framed for corruption and then persecuted himself. Please tell us a bit about how Grootvlei and the corruption that took place there, despite being uncovered by the Jolly Commission, now reared its head in another Bloemfontein prison. What's the connection? Well, I think the connection you're referring to is Tatolo Sedlai. He uh, was, because he's now retired, he was a DCS official. He gave inmates in Grootvlei, um, I think, if I remember correctly, uh, access to cameras to film what was going on there. Yes. Uh, and yeah, I think he very bravely uh, exposed um, widespread corruption and abuse. And in 2008, he was appointed the DCS controller of Mangaung prison. And so there's a there's a controller, DCS controller stationed at that prison. And he or she is supposed to report on any irregularities, report on all health related issues, report on isolation, all the sort of legal aspects of running a prison. And all the DCS controllers that have been uh, stationed at Mangaung prison uh, have been incredibly corrupt and have uh, covered up the very serious uh, violations of G4S. Tatolo said lie, however, he did his job. And I spoke to him and he showed me a report he wrote in, uh, again, I think it was 2008 or 2009, flagging the fact that G4S was putting inmates into isolation cells for way too long, uh, for periods that were way too long. So some of them ended up in an isolation cell for three years and based on South African laws, I think two weeks. And so he he wrote this down in a report. He um, included all the name and prison numbers of the inmates who this had happened to. He flagged electroshocking. He flagged forced injections with antipsychotic drugs. And what happened, uh, similarly to the Grootvlei corruption, he was investigated. He was transferred. DCS covered up. Jigs didn't do anything with this information. Uh, DCS didn't do anything with this information. G4S got away. G4S was protected. And that there you go again. That's evidence of deep collusion. 
We've seen quite a bit of dancing in front of Parliament this week by G4S uh, officials, really sort of stumbling over their words to try and justify what they did or didn't do. What have you found in your investigations of the matter? Are they really that naive to not realize that something like a lifestyle audit should be done if you are dealing with uh, prisoners with access to money, for instance? Yeah, I mean, I think Minister Lamola has just uh, in Parliament uh, basically said that the, the contract will not be terminated, even though some people say, well, it's still being referred to the legal department. But that goes to show that G4S can get away with anything. In my book, Misery Merchants, and I also produced a film about this topic called Prison for Profit, you know, I detail uh, various very serious human rights violations, abuse, corruption, and nothing happened when my work came out. They're not being held accountable. They, they literally get away with murder, and they know they'll, they'll get away with this Tabo Bester escape. And I think the reason is that the prison contract is drafted in such a way that for DCS to prematurely terminate the contract, it would lead to crippling debts for DCS. It would cripple the, bu the budget because of the way the contract has been drafted. And the contract, by the way, has been drafted by Fricky Fenter, who was a DCS official. And the moment the prison opened its doors, he became the first G4S head of prison, revolving door, corruption, etc. Uh, so there you go. And there's just ample evidence of deep collusion between DCS uh, and G4S. And there's just, G4S just knows it, it, it can get away with anything, including not doing lifestyle audits, including murder. So, yeah. You've referred people on your Twitter account to documents that you are sharing, but I believe you had to buy us some of these documents to investigate what was going on at the Mangong prison. Yeah, I did. So what happened was um, in 2013, DCS took the prison over for the, for the first time temporarily. And at the time when my investigation came out, the then Minister of Correctional Services, Buin Nbele, had a very bold reaction. He said, this is terrible. Uh, the privatization of prisons in South Africa has failed. We will investigate this. We will leave no stone unturned. And then he appointed a, a DCS investigation team to look into all the issues that I had flagged in my research. And then the evidence that this investigation team uh, had gathered was then brought to Zach Modise, the then National Commissioner of Correctional Services. It was brought to his office in a safe room. And one day, uh, one of the investigators wanted access to the material, went to the safe room and it was empty. So all the evidence was lost and DCS refused to release this investigation report. And as you said, I use PIA, the, the, the Promotion of Access to Information Act, and together with the Center for Applied Legal Studies at WITS, I had to uh, sue the department and chase this report through the courts. And only in February 2020, did the, the High Court in Pretoria order DCS to release this report, which they did, and the report confirms all my findings, but again, no accountability. And again, I think this is evidence of the deep collusion around this prison.
Ruth, tell us about Jigs. Uh, we've heard about Jigs this week when Justice Cameron was speaking at Parliament about the Tabu Beste escape and about his findings of uh, what happened in the Mangaung prison. But for the listeners' benefit, what exactly is Jigs? Yeah, Jigs is um, the Judicial Inspectorate for Correctional Services, and it is basically a prison watchdog. It's supposed to, it has, it employs ICCVs, um, independent prison visitors, so people who visit prisons throughout South Africa, in not just private prisons, also state-run prisons, and they are supposed to keep a watchful eye on issues such as do prisoners have access to healthcare, are prisoners complaining about the food, is there torture happening, is there violence happening, is minimum force used, because that's what uh, prison wardens are allowed to use, that's minimum force. So all these legal stipulations, the prison visitors are supposed to monitor that. Uh, Edwin Cameron used to be a constitutional court judge in South Africa. I hold him in very high esteem. It's a man of integrity. And he always was very supportive around the issue of prisoner rights and that people in prison should have rights. And he then became the judge running JIGS, the Judicial Inspectorate of Correctional Services, there has, however, been a court case around JIGS because the problem is, the problem is not so much with Edwin Cameron. Uh, like I said, uh, I hold him in high esteem. It's a man of integrity. And I'm sure he wants to hold the department as well as the company accountable. However, JIGS currently is a toothless tiger because JIGS, the prison watchdog, is employed and paid by DCS, the prison department. That makes no sense whatsoever because they don't have proper independence and DCS can therefore influence the work of Jigs and make Jigs instrumental in the cover-up of horrific abuse and human rights violations happening in prisons. And I believe there's been a court case uh, which I've only just heard about it. I haven't actually looked at the actual judgment yet, but I believe there's been a court case because the Centre for Applied Legal Studies, uh, CALS, uh, brought this, I think, before the Constitutional Court, and they ruled that JIGS should be independent and that it should be separate from DCS, and it should have proper independence. However, that's not yet been implemented, so JIGS still, to this day, is a toothless tiger, and so that's why all the human rights violations and abuse and the forced injections with antipsychotic drugs, it's all been flagged with jigs, and yet they've been unable to do anything about it. This is also not the first private prison debacle we are facing in South Africa. Listeners will remember that Busasa, run by the Watson family, also worked in private prison space. And we saw how that led to corruption and tenders involving ANC officials and people higher up in government. Do you think private prisons in itself creates a situation where corruption and tenders and connected cadres is sort of expected? Most definitely. And especially in a country in South Africa where, sadly, you know, corruption is, is rife. 
Because every, if you look at Mango Ung Prison, everything has a price tag. Everything is connected to a tender. A tender for the fences, a tender for the roofing, a tender for the phone system, for the canteen, for literally everything uh, is connected to a tender. And that is all being abused through corruption and nepotism. I mean, for example, I have heard for years there are tenders around the food and For example, uh, there's a tender for like 500 grams of meat per inmate per day. And what happens is they give them 200 grams and then run off with the rest of the, the money. And, and another thing that I've actually also uh, been given evidence of is that there was also a private institution involved to give the inmates like computer skill courses. And what happened was that these inmates, they would see, receive the certificate but they would never get the course. And then what would Mango in prison do? They'd bill DCS like, we have 10 prisoners who've completed a course. See, here are the certificates, but they never got the actual course, just a certificate. And so G4S or whoever uh, profited from this could then collect the money for the, the certificate for the course without actually having to pay for the course. So there was all this corruption was rife at the prison. Yes, uh, I remember footage from the Grootvlei prison, uh, some of the footage that was collected undercover, where prison guards actually loaded boxes of chickens into their private vehicles, chickens meant for food for the prisoners. Mm. And uh, Gaten McKenzie also wrote about this in his book called The Choice, and one can fault him for some of the political choices he's made uh, in the years since he wrote that book. But the book was an eye-opener on how corruption went down in the Grootvlei prison. I remember he wrote very explicitly about being richer than ever before while he was in prison because they ran schemes from there with cell phones smuggled in by the wardens that somebody who would go and open a bank account for people to pay money into during, for instance, uh, schemes that they ran in newspapers, somebody would then go and close the account That person got a cut, the prisoners got a cut, and some of the wardens got a cut. So he told me in his own words during an interview that anything in prison you wanted, you could get at three times the price. You paid the warden involved, you paid the service supplier, and you had to pay somebody to bring that product into jail for you. So very, very concerning stuff that you've exposed, but just also... For the listeners' benefit, just tell us about G4S's international problems, because I believe they're not only in trouble in South Africa. No, most definitely. I mean, I actually set up a transnational network of investigative journalists who looked at G4S around the globe. You can check out their work on www.privatesecurity.network. Um, and we've had journalists write about uh, their problems in Colombia, in India, in Nigeria, in Kenya, um, and they they don't run prisons in all these countries. I mean, they're a private security contractor, so they also provide like security guards. They're involved in warfare. What they're also well known for in South Africa is cash in transit uh, services. And you can see that all over the globe, they just run into problems, especially also with uh, employees, because in any business, labor is like uh, a huge uh, expense of a, of a company. And GFRS just exerts 
incredible downward pressure on on labor and exploits uh, its workers. I mean, the, the story in India uh, of security guards who were uh, they came from out, out from a different state and were accommodated in a, a room without water, without access to electricity, two to a bed, uh, horrific conditions. So you can see that they, they just run into problems wherever they go, but especially in their prison operation. Uh, I mean, they ran a prison in Israel, for example, uh, and they were involved in detaining Palestinian political prisoners as well as Palestinian children. They had contracts uh, in Guantanamo Bay, the uh, prison uh, where there was widespread torture, you know, very controversial prison run by uh, the Americans. And in the UK, where I'm currently based, uh, it's a British company and they run about four or five prisons here. And, and nearly each one of them has run into terrible problems. In 2018, Birmingham prison was run by G4S. It spun out of control completely, very similar to Mangaung prison. The government stepped in and had to take it back and immediately terminated the contract. But they also ran Brookhouse Detention Centre for immigrants. Uh, the BBC went in with uh, undercover cameras and documented terrible abuse and violence and complete chaos. That contract ended. And also Medway uh, Prison, which was a, a youth detention uh, centre. Again, the BBC went in with uh, undercover uh, cameras and documented terrible abuse and violence and racism. And that contract also ended, uh, therefore. And and wherever they go, they, they used to run youth detention centres in America, in the US. Terrible problems, such to such an extent that they've completely withdrawn from running youth detention centers in America. They used to run uh, an offshore immigration detention center on Manus Island for Australia. In 2014, terrible riots broke out there. Uh, one uh, refugee died, I think 77 were injured. Again, GFRS lost the contract. But losing the contract is also not a problem for them because they just keep landing contract after contract after contract. If you look at the UK, for example, in this country, they've been criminally prosecuted because of because they defrauded the British government in an electronic monitoring contract they had with the British government. Despite the fact that they've been criminally prosecuted, two years ago, they landed a new contract for a 1600 bed prison worth 300 million pounds. So whatever they do and however chaotic their operation is and however laws they violate, it's kind of capitalism at, it, at its best, you could say. They just keep uh, profit, money keeps speaking. They just keep landing contract after contract after contract because people are only really focused on making a profit, not on human rights. That's secondary or even third or even last. What I want to know is what can we do as South Africans and what can we force government to do, or at least ask them to do, to stop corruption in South African correctional services, in South African prisons? What's the solution? Well, I sadly, I don't have any easy solutions. And uh, I think looking at the, the private prison operation in South Africa, I mean, first and foremost, speak out about this. I've found in my work that prisons and uh, prisoners in South Africa are met with indifference. People don't really care. 
also a lot of people say they're criminals, you know, why don't we kill them? So I think first and foremost, start caring and start speaking out about this. And, and also as citizens, organize protests, you know, if you don't agree with this, don't remain silent. Uh, I think it's important that people speak out and, and have their voices heard, you know. And I think uh, specifically with regard to the private prisons, I mean, I think a discussion should be had with the ANC that, that has its, its roots, is, is founded in, in principles of socialism and communism and now has completely embraced neoliberalism and has allowed companies and multinationals to dictate the way we lead our lives, you know, and they, 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 they have a, an impact on a lot of uh, very fundamental um, issues, such as incarceration, which I personally think should never be attached to a profit incentive. I mean, to view an inmate as a commercial entity that is a way of saying, let's keep the crime rate high because then we'll earn more money. That is just completely the wrong incentive to tackle crime. Crime ultimately is a social problem. It's a problem in society that needs to be addressed through social policy, not through making it a money-making uh, exercise. I think that in itself, and that's not uniquely South African, that, also, that happens all over the world, but I really think that's wrong. So I, I would advise ordinary people to speak out about this, to be vocal about this. Don't accept this. Stand up. You know, I mean, the the EFF, even though I, I don't support the EFF, but what I do support is people protesting and speaking out. And the EFF organized a protest at Mangaung prison. And I think that's great, you know, to, to, to just show solidarity and to show discontent. You know, I think that's really important. You touched on something that I've personally been thinking about a bit, and that is the concept of crime pays. Because without crime, without high crime, there won't be the need for private security companies, private prisons, all those kinds of things that we are now, we are forced to use private security companies because the police is nowhere to be seen we need it most. We are sitting with one of the highest murder rates in the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and like I just said, I mean, I think it's it's really wrong to, if you look at uh, the a private prison, that you, that uh, an inmate, a prisoner, is, is, an, is a commercial entity. That in itself is just so wrong because it feeds into more crime. You know, whereas uh, in South Africa, I would say... You know, the, the, the uh, extreme crime rate, as you just said, with a very high murder rate, very high rape rates, the, the high crime rates is grounded in, in social economic uh, issues, you know, is very much fed by the fact that there's just insane inequality in, in South Africa and that the, the masses are, are still struggling in poverty, you know, despite the fact that apartheid has ended, you know, a lot of people still don't, uh, are not enabled to access their rights because they suffer from uh, widespread systemic poverty. And poverty is an accumulation of human rights violations. It makes access to healthcare, access to education, access to housing, all these fundamental human rights problematic. And that to me feeds, in my analysis, feeds into the, the crime problem. And that's where 
I would say, uh, you know, the solution lies to a more equitable society where people are treated with respect, where people actually, there's the social mobility, people can improve their lot, you know, and it's not the elite just stuffing their pockets and not caring about the masses who are subjected to a very unfair socioeconomic reality, you know. I think that's where the problem of crime um, could start to find a solution, not by saying, you know what, we can earn off this, this crime scourge, you know, we can earn off uh, murderers and rapists. I think that is just wrong. Yeah, and of course, we're sitting with a situation where government seems either unwilling or unable to tackle crime, corruption, human rights abuses. We're sitting mm -hmm. with a situation where even getting drinking water to some people um, is becoming more and more problematic because government is just not there. I want to ask you, do you think another commission of inquiry will solve the problems that we see are being discussed in parliament as we speak on corruption in prison services? Or will another commission just be more money wasted because we've had the Jolly Commission, we, we've got jigs, we've got a book like yours. Should we investigate further or should we just start saying, hold them accountable in the contract? I would say it, it, it is time for uh, a public inquiry because I think first and foremost, the contract needs to be terminated. I mean, why it wasn't terminated yesterday, I don't get. I mean, it's the second time the state needs to step in to take over uh, management of this prison. The second time because of atrocious crimes being committed. The fact that that's not enough, that La Mola is still in Parliament saying, you know, the contract most likely will not be cancelled and we need legal advice and blah, blah, blah. It's just outrageous. So, yeah, I think first and foremost, the contract needs to be uh, terminated and then there needs to be further accountability. But the problem there to me is who is going to hold who accountable? Because if you look at the, the South African state, specifically the Department of Correctional Services, they have colluded for decades with G4S. They have covered up and protected the company. They have not protected inmates. They've not protected uh, employees. They've not intervened to achieve a more fair and just situation. They have colluded and allowed this to continue and so who is going to hold who accountable? Because DCS and the SAPS, they are complicit. So who is going to hold them accountable? Maybe what we need is a complete overthrow of, of government. <laughs> Maybe what we need is a revolution. That's what I very, not just in South Africa, in the world, actually, because I think ultimately, ultimately the problem is that we've all embraced capitalism and we've all put money first before anything else. And we've allowed uh, companies to dictate the way we lead our lives. And what, what, in my view, what is needed is a complete overthrow of that system in South Africa, but also globally. Okay, Alta will never advocate for a revolution, um, but we would advocate for people to start voting responsibly and exercising their rights to hold politicians accountable. But may I ask you, have you ever been threatened? Because you are exposing big dogs here. Have you ever had implicit threats or direct threats? Yes, I have. While I was uh, doing the research, I think it was around 2014, 15, I don't know who, I think it's either DCS or G4S, they started following me. 
And in my book, Misery Merchants, I've actually included uh, a screen grab of CCTV footage of one of the guys who came knocking on my door while I was in a guest house. It was completely unclear how he got into the guest house, how he found me. I was the only, it was, it was actually, it was quite uh, scary because I was the only guest present at the time. The staff had gone home and I was interviewing a source and he came knocking on my door with some bullshit uh, excuse. And yeah, that's, so especially during that time, 2014, 15, I got followed around a lot. And then actually the threats came not so much from G4S. I mean, they, they've threatened legal action, but they never did because my uh, research is watertight. But the most of the threats came from DCS. So they intercepted my communication. And then after a while, I also started receiving uh, personal text messages from Zach Modise, uh, the then National Commissioner of Correctional Services. So that was really weird. And then they also filed a complaint against me with the press ombudsman, also in 2015, for an article I had written, again, watertight, I was presenting facts and the press ombudsman ruled in my favor, but it was an article about Isaac Nelani, um, an inmate who'd been tortured to death by G4S guards. I'd had the pathologist reports, I had eyewitness statements, I had all the facts. And the fact that DCS filed a complaint against me at the press ombudsman for an article that I wrote about how G4S had tortured an inmate to death, to me again, points to widespread collusion, you know? It's like DCS actively protecting G4S. I, I was at times, uh, it did, you know, scare me. But I've always, my curiosity always is stronger than my fear. <laughs> and so says Ruth Hopkins. She's an investigative journalist currently living in the UK. And she wrote a book called The Misery Merchants, Life and Death in a Private South African Prison that uncovered the human rights uh, abuses in Manghoong Prison, currently in the news for the Tabu Beste Escape. Uh, Ruth, thank you for your work. Thank you for making the time to speak to me at such short notice. And good luck with all of this. Thank you very much. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and subscribe to our channel to stay updated. The Alta team invites you to support us in fighting corruption and maladministration by contributing to Alta's efforts through a donation. Visit alta.co.za to donate.